Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Welcome to Infertility and Me Podcast, a show that amplifies diverse stories about the struggles of infertility and fertility in a safe space. Our goal is to normalize fertility stories that validate, give hope, and create a community where no one is left silently suffering. Welcome, welcome, welcome you guys to another episode of Infertility and Me Podcast. I am Monique Farouk, your fertility friend and a women's health advocate. If this is your first time being on the show, listening to the show, downloading the show, welcome, welcome, welcome new friend. We appreciate you for being here and today. I got a very special, super special guest, you guys, for you as we move into Christmas and getting through the holidays. And this being the last episode of the year, I have Mrs. Nicole Gomez Fisher from Good Egg Film. If you don't know about it, okay, you need to stop right now and whatever you're doing, unless you're driving and go to Instagram and follow Good Egg Film on Instagram. Nicole and her team are doing amazing, fantastical work. Yes, I said fantastical. I made that up. And they are spreading awareness through film, through creativity, bringing lightheartedness to it with a little bit of drama, a little bit of toxicity. But we're going to get into all of that. So thank you, Nicole, so much for taking the time out of your day and being here with us and giving us some hope and positivity as we move into the new year. It just seems like yesterday was January 2022. It's so crazy, right? It does. Oh my gosh. Yes. And thank you so, for having me. My pleasure. My pleasure. I'm glad we were able to do it before the new year is out. Oh my gosh. You guys are doing so many great things. But before we get into that, we want to ask Nicole, Nicole, how did you get diagnosed with infertility? Did you have any struggles prior to diagnosis with medical conditions? Yeah, it all started with a turkey sandwich. So <laughs> I, I was having a turkey sandwich one day and thought I was having some abdominal pain, you know, got worse and worse. And I thought, oh, this is just really bad indigestion or gas. You know, this is going to be ridiculous. It'll laugh me out of the ER. And I went to the ER and didn't come out because <laughs> apparently that gas was um, actually endometriosis. So what I thought was just some abdominal pain that could be cured with, you know, a gas X ended up taking me into emergency surgery. And the endometriosis had taken over the entire lower half of my body. And of course, it was it clogged my fallopian tubes, it took over my right ovary and partial left. So right before they rolled me in, they said, I have to sign off just in case I had to remove one ovary. And I woke up to find out that pretty much everything was removed. 
And it was jarring to say the least, scary to say the least, because I was only 19. And at that time, because we're talking a couple of years ago, <laughs> not to date myself, the infertility world and, and everything, the freezing of eggs was very different than it was now. But I remember waking up and a couple of days later, the doctor approaching me saying, well, you might want to consider freezing your eggs. And at 19, I thought this is the most absurd thing in the world, but I did it because, you know, who knew what the future was to hold? And it was really upsetting to say the least being so young and now having, knowing that I was going to have a future with lots of difficulty. And again, at that time, fertility and, and all the things we have now was not what we had then. And so we froze our eggs and then so many years later, I finally got married and we tried to use those eggs. And after I think it was three attempts at, you know, trying to fertilize, it was pretty obvious that they weren't viable anymore. And again, a lot of that had to do with the time frame and also the technology then. So it was um, shitty, <laughs> to be honest. So you had the ovaries and your fallopian tubes re, um, removed during that surgery when they went in there and, and yeah, saw the I had, full scope of the endo? I had the right uh, ovary removed, both tubes, and partial left. Wow. So, of course, they left me with enough to still get my period. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then also have some of your own hormones still being produced, which is important yeah, when we super. get into middle age and, and being naturally induced with menopause. It's, it's mm -hmm. really important. Yeah, you don't have to be. It was crazy meds. because at that yeah. age to be going through like what they called was a pre menopause or whatever, what have you, you know, you're going through the hot flashes, you're in college, people don't like understand why you're so gross and sweaty at parties. And you're still I was still trying to comprehend what was going on with my body. And, you know, being a teenager and being insecure and my boyfriend having just broken up with me over all this, which, again, had nothing to do with the future that we held. It was just, mm -hmm, just too much mm -hmm. for him to deal with. And physically, I was I didn't want to be invaded, so to say, anymore because yeah. the surgery felt so invasive and okay. having such little control over the um, not the diagnosis, but the end result was emotionally you know, a really hard trip to go down because, you know, again, being so young, being still in college, not really knowing how to explain it to my friends. And also emotionally, forget about just the physical, emotionally, I was just distraught and I was angry and it really came out in all my relationships, unfortunately. And even now, all these years later, having my two beautiful girls, there's, you know, there was resentment you know, and we'll go down that road later, but when other people were getting pregnant and I know you see it all over social media where people are like, I can't go to a baby shower, but it's true. And some people will say it's selfish, but you know, unless you really understand the pain of what that means, there's nothing selfish because they talk about self-care all the time now. And I thought at that time, although again, a while ago, that self-care was the most important thing, especially the emotional, you know, physical was already done. But the emotional part was really hard to to cope with. I'm sure. You were a teenager. Again, as you said, our brains are not even fully developed. Yeah. I couldn't know? even understand what that meant for my future. You know, and I have to tell yeah. you that when I, well, I, I had one boyfriend I was with for a long time. And, you know, you don't know where it's going to go. And mm -hmm. I always felt like I would have to explain it to them before even we got serious. Because I was so afraid of getting serious and then them saying, and then telling them and having that be the reason why they would leave me because they wanted to have children and already knowing that it was going to be a struggle might be off-putting and what have you. 
But then yeah. when I finally met my husband, it was like, I think on our first date, I was like, let me just lay it out here. Okay. Mm. If you want kids, you're SOL, dude. <laughs> like, you just might want to find somebody else. But if you're willing to stick on for the ride, it's going to be a big one. And it mm. was. It was an eight-year journey. And what was his initial reaction to that? You know, I, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I think he was yeah. like smitten from the get-go. Aww. And I remember him basically saying like, uh, thank you for letting me know. Um, mm. It might be a little premature that you just dumped it on me on the first date, um, but I get it and and I'm willing to stick with it. So let's just see where this goes. And he never strayed. Mm. So mm. he's been mm. a very loyal husband and he understands how hard it was. But, you know, what's so weird and we'll get to it later was that, and again, I know the focus is infertility, but obviously the infertility led to the egg step situation. And um, I think the hardest thing was that for me at the end of the day, accepting that it genetically wasn't going to be my kids, accepting that I would have to adopt them once they were born. Just a lot of these steps that made me feel less connected to them because we had to have a surrogate too. So I couldn't carry, um, which is something I didn't discover until I actually did get pregnant. And then, and then I found out that there was no way I would have been able to make it to term. And at that point I stopped everything. I said, I can't do this anymore. Like physically, emotionally, financially, I am done, drained to the bone. And that's when I decided to do my first feature film because I needed something to, to call my own. I needed something to like hang on to, to make me feel like I had my own voice, anything. And when that was all said and done, uh, my husband's like, let's try again. And that's when we got the surrogate. She got our first, she would only do one egg because she didn't want to have multiples. And she was a pro surrogate because she had done it before. And she had three kids of her own and she was really afraid that if she carried twins or more that her lining, you know, wouldn't hold. And anyway, long story short, we, uh, and me, you know, we transferred one. It was the best, most viable embryo we had and it didn't take. And when it didn't take, she, she was so devastated for us, but we all needed like a timeout, you know? So it was a holiday season going into Christmas and we said, all right, let's all just, step back. There was a lot of guilt. There was a lot of shame. There was a lot of pain. There was just so much on all of us, you know, even her husband, you know, it was a lot. And so right after Christmas, we said, you know, we would like to do it again if you're willing, but we do want to do more than one embryo. We have three left. Are you willing to do all three? Cause we couldn't, who could afford to do this again? You know? So she took a couple of weeks to think about it. I know she didn't want to do it, but it was like how I didn't want to give her two out of the three that were remaining and then find out that that one that we didn't do was the one that would have stuck. So it ended up that she actually all three stuck initially. Yeah, that was exactly my reaction because <laughs> it was like, oh, my God, be careful what you wish for. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, one didn't stick. And so but then we ended up with our twins. So so you guys have twin girls. Wow. Mm -hmm. Totally. And she also had a very difficult pregnancy with us. Very oh, difficult. No. Wow. Yeah. She actually tore, you know, mm. and so she had to have the ecolage thing to sew oh, her back yes. up and yes. she was panicking and she was crying. And it's a, it's a weird bond that you have with another woman, yes, but it's a yes. bond that we still have. And mm, I sure. love having her in my life. The kids call her Auntie Ray Ray. Oh. Okay, we're not going to cry today, okay? You guys are not going to do that today. We're not going to shed it's any tears. It's more fun. I can give you more humor, I promise. <laughs> no, yes, but she's, so she's, she's a blessing mm. on top of the girls, you know. Mm. And after the girls are born, did you struggle because of the trauma 
of your initial diagnosis and the emotional effects of all of that? Were you getting any help at any point from a therapist or counselor of anything? No. no. You yeah, know, it's funny because I talk. Do. Yeah, I wish <laughs> I wish I had. But yeah. again, and, and maybe this is just me being like, woe is me. I'm not much of a martyr. But when I look at what is provided on social media now between mm-hmm. what you're doing, what other people are doing, just the people who are yeah. very... Uh, open and transparent about their journeys and and just having those vehicles and and outlets to be able to like talk about it. I didn't have that. And when I tell you that it was so dark and so lonely and all my friends were getting, it was like, boom, 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 boom. It was, it, it was endless for years. And it wasn't until one of my husband's friends was on her fourth pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And I said, I cannot go to the shower. I just can't. And he begged me and he didn't understand. And he's like, just come, just come. And I'm like, please don't, don't put me through this. And then of course, not understanding my position. He was like, you're being selfish. I ended up going. One person made one comment because I was really bloated from the hormones, from the shots. You know, you get that little pregnant pooch. And again, she did not know, but she thought I was pregnant. She got very excited. She came running over to me. She's like, did you tell anybody? And I'm like, tell them what? And I was ready to foul mood to begin with. And she said, you know, that, and I go, no, I, thanks. This is just, you know, hormones and fertility meds. And thanks for pointing out that I look bloated and fat. And then another woman that day was like, like, she just came up to me. And I guess she was like feeling my energy and she's just like rubbing my arm. And she's like, it's going to be okay. And I just looked at her. I'm like, fuck away from me. Like, I don't even know. Sorry, I didn't find to edit that out. But I was like, why, why are you, don't, first of all, don't touch me. Second of all, like, I don't want your sympathy. Like nothing's happening here. I'm just going through the motions but you know I feel for people who don't understand it's no different than when like somebody passes away and you're trying to send your condolences and they don't quite understand what you're going through so I feel for them as well but um I understand completely though what you what you mean by that and it's like times you want to be coddled and times you don't want to be coddled and trying to find that balance between the two and a lot of times, you know, like like you've experienced and I've experienced and all of you guys listening experiences, just a day by day, minute by minute thing sometimes, you know, and um, so. I just hate that. I just hate that no more people aren't aware of this sort of an issue. And because of that, there's um there's a lack of sympathy. There's a lack of empathy. And when people don't have understanding of something ignorance comes in mm. and and rears its ugly head and, and ignorance not like mean things but ignorance as in not knowing mm-hmm. that type of ignorance and not knowing what to say and not knowing what not to say or mm-hmm. just shut the f up you know yes, all together you know <laughs> and i think one thing that has made me um when dealing with women in public and coming into contact with people like i don't even bring up kids mm. honestly at this point and if she looks a little bloated and it looks like it could be like, a, you know, the lower belly starts coming out when you're pregnant. I don't even say anything. Yeah. No, because and you don't know you don't if it's know. fibroids. You don't know what right. it is. You don't know. Absolutely. Fibroids. That's I mean, God, you just think about all the different. There's so many different. I don't want to say levels, but ways to categorize infertility. Mm-hmm. You know, it could be anything mm-hmm. like you're asking me. My journey, my journey is different than with somebody else, you know, and yeah. I've heard of so many women that I've talked to about their journeys. And it's, it's fascinating when you hear, you know, what certain people go through and what causes it, a lot of it being endometriosis and what have you, and never even understanding like how that came about and why supposedly 
And I don't know if this is to be true. The reason my case was so bad, they said, was because I was, I had had a couple of abdominal surgeries as a child. And so much of the scar tissue had wrapped around what was already inflamed below. So it just grew out to be bigger. So it wasn't necessarily endometriosis that was surrounding it. It was a combination of that and scar tissue. And so that scar tissue was actually the reason I couldn't carry to full term because my stomach would not extend because of the tissue. I would have to go in and have surgery to remove that. And I was like, yeah, I've been through enough. I'm good. Yeah. That makes total sense though with the scarring. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 It's not flexible. Correct. It's not flexible. It takes away the flexibility of the Right. There was no give. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. What point out as did your creativity and your need for creation of the film begin? Was it after the girls were toddlers? How soon was it? Not even before they were born. Wow. This was, I started writing this honestly like 10 years ago. It was, it was one of those things where I just thought there was something fascinating about the journey I was going on, but it was never about the egg donor and myself. It was just about the what ifs. And then once I got to that point, where what really happened, the whole story and how this really came to to be was it was two days before my fifth <laughs> um, transfer. And this time it was now with the donor egg and obviously my husband. So we had, um, at this point, we had a bunch of embryos still left. But now we were going to try me before we went to the surrogate. This is the first of two tries with this particular egg donor. And on the first try, my husband had to, I had to go get the blood work, you know, find, make sure my levels were ready, make sure my uterus was ready for the transfer. And uh, my husband needed the car to go to Long Island for work. And I was in Brooklyn. So he's like, I'll drop you off at the doctor's appointment early. And with this particular clinic, you were not allowed to meet the person. You were not allowed to know them. This was all a code, a number, an application. So I knew nothing about her other than I was able, once you sign the contract, not before, were you allowed to see a picture of the donor. And that was only if the donor even gave them a picture. Some did not want them. Some would give them pictures of them when they were 4, 10, 27, you know, whatever, just to see features. But you were not allowed to see it because they didn't want you to design a baby. So they said you can't, you have to go off the application. And then once you choose and select and everything signed, you get to see a picture. So I saw her headshot. And <laughs> she's like a front singer in a band. I got there early and I was just perusing through a magazine. And then all of a sudden she comes out and I just obviously I knew who she was. She's very distinct looking. And she came out and Monique, the feelings that went through me at that moment were severe. It was jealousy. It was feeling like a failure, feeling like as a woman, like, I had to rely on this person that I don't even know. I don't even know her name. I know nothing about her other than what's on that application. And she's the one that's going to procreate with my husband. Like, I know it sounds ridiculous and overdramatic, but it felt like I was being cheated on. It felt like I was being discarded. You know, I hate to use the word broken because we use it too often in this particular, but it was, it was everything. I just, I felt, see, now I'm going to cry. And I we said, we we're going to make you laugh, but I felt, I felt useless. I just felt like, and so I, I panicked and obviously I had a bunch of hormones and I called my husband and I'm like, Oh my God, my baby mama is standing five feet away from me. What do I do? He's like, you sit your ass down and you don't move. That's what you do. And of course he hears me walking 
He hears the door open or close and he's like, get your ass back in that office. He's like, what are you doing? He's like, you'll get arrested for stalking. I'm like, don't you want to get to know her? Don't you want to know how she walks and what she looks? And he's like, I don't want to know anything. I he never wanted to see the picture of her. He's like, I want her nothing. Turn around. So I might've gone like a half a block before I realized that this is insanity. Like, what was I going to do? Stop her and be like, hi, my name's Nicole. And just wanted to meet the mother to my children. Like it's just everything about it. It was crazy. So that was where the story in my head began. And the story was, what if I did follow her? What if she wasn't, what if she was nothing like she said on the application? What if she lit a cigarette when she said she didn't smoke? All these crazy thoughts. So I went back in, cried my eyes out to my husband. And he's like, look, there was nothing you could do. And I said, but I just, I just wanted to to hug her. I wanted to hold her hand. I wanted to scream at her. Like there were so many different raging, unexplainable emotions that happened at that moment. And I thought this is absurd. If I can't make this funny, because <laughs> this is, this is crazy. What can I do with all this? And I just started pouring it onto the page, you know, like what I was feeling. And I have a tendency in general that when I write, and even when I used to do stand-up comedy, I try to put heart and humor together because you can't have one without the other. And, um, you know, in life, humor is what gets us through. And for me, this was an outlet to sort of throw my emotions on the page. And really it had so many different inceptions that what it ended up being was a lot more wacky and absurd than I had really expected. But the people, like I said, that saw it at the screening recently were just like, this was, it was a relief because it's not, the focus is not, I mean, yes, we, open with the journey of infertility and we find out our lead character Jessica who's played by the wonderful Yara Martinez is just so delicate and feels so desperate you know and the husband and wife are on such different levels and she even says to her husband when her husband's like why are you so against other options there's other ways for us to get pregnant why would you not consider something like egg donation and she says the only thing I can the only way for me to explain it to you is by telling you it's like being an understudy in a hit Broadway show about your own life. It was, that was the comparison was like to watch your somebody else play you because you're yeah. not good enough to play yourself. Wow. And so, yo, it's not that deep money. <laughs> I'm trying to make you real. laugh. <laughs> no, I'm just trying to take it all in and I'm, cause I'm a visual person. So I'm visualizing everything that you're saying in my head, like the point of mm -hmm. seeing your egg donor and you're like, I can see you like standing behind her, just watching her as she does her thing. <sighs> Like oh on God. some, um, what's that show? You like on some you type shit. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the image I had. Cause that's how I would react to you. I would just be sitting here like with my coffee and shit. Yeah. Sipping, just watching. It was sewing so so right behind it. And she came out, by the way, let me just preface if you're visual, uh -huh. with a hoodie and big like Hollywood sunglasses. And Real here's the best part. When we, when, and so then she took her sunglasses off and I was like, mm. oh, cause like she was trying to be, I mean, maybe she didn't know I was there, but I'm sure she didn't want anybody because I'm sure I'm not the only one. You know, it's a whole other story. Wow. How many siblings they might have, but yes, but my point is, is so the night that my husband and I went through stacks of applications, we decided mm -hmm. to have a cocktail or two, you know, cause when we started joking, we're like, oh, we want her to be yes. this and we want her to be that. Yes. So the girls are born, one's brunette and one is super blonde. And I'm like, huh? And I went back because I remember in her headshot, her hair was black, like really okay. dark. And then I found her application. She's 5'11 and blonde. 
Like I'm five what? feet and this is fake. So I mean, I, my husband's, we're both, you know, smaller. We're both dark okay. olive skin, dark hair. Yeah. And it, when all of a sudden this girl comes out blonde, I was like, Joe, what should we look at? What? Cause it, Oh, by the way, the embryos were frozen in 2008. Holy shit. Yeah. So, wow. so that's another thing. So we hadn't looked at her application in years. And so then when we went back to look at it, I was like, dude, I was like, did you, what, 5'11 and blo- what, what were we drinking that night? Like, we, we were so about trying to get Hispanic or Italian, anything that matched our, you know, our background. Original backgrounds, yeah. Clearly <laughs> went shit. off the mark there. Completely opposite. <laughs> Completely opposite. Yes. Our girl was yeah. out in Denver because at the time it wasn't legal in New York for surrogacy. That's right. So our girl was in Denver and she's, you know, I don't know, she's just your... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, she's amazing, but I'm saying she's yeah. like your average, you know. Yeah, white girl. yeah, yeah. But I wasn't wow. as concerned about the image of that person as I was about the health. Exactly. You know, to make sure she was mentally and physically healthy and understood. Because I got to tell you, I mean, you carried your own, correct? I did. Yeah, yeah, I did. In this particular case, she really had a not only a difficult pregnancy but really bad postpartum, and it was very hard from my standpoint to sit there while the kids were in the incubators because they were in NICU for a while and she wanted to hold them. And of course she was pumping. And I, I was like, do I want them to drink her? Like, you know, it was, now it went from being yeah. this loving bond to almost the same feeling with a the rift. donor where she's holding the babies and I'm thinking, Oh my God, like mm-hmm. they're not the They're scent, not going to connect with me. The milk. They're not gonna- yeah. Everything and when she was holding them and doing everything, a voice exactly. And about, I'd say that they're about 10 months old when she flew from Denver to visit me because she wanted to see the kids. And as horrible as I feel saying this out loud, I was, I did not want her to be here. I was so scared that those kids were going to feel her, hear her, sense her. And, and the connection was going to be more than I was because I was really struggling with the connection. You know, I was depressed, even though I wasn't going through postpartum myself per se. They say that even though you don't carry, you kind of go through it because it's like, you know, when you carry, I don't know because I never carried, but I assume that the connection is is there and you come home from the hospital and it's it's still that. I'm not saying everyone goes through postpartum, but with us, it was like, get out of the hospital, fly with your little babies home to New York. And then all of a sudden you're here and you've got these kids and you're there's, for me, there was, there was no bond. It was, it took a long time for me to say, I'm the mother. That's it. I'm the mother. But the one thing my surrogate lawyers didn't tell me was that I would have to go to court the next day after they were born to adopt them. And I didn't know that was part of the process. And it just made me feel even more separated. I remember being in the, like, crying and crying and they were like are you okay and I was like no one told me that they weren't just mine I just assumed they would come out and just be mine I didn't know there was one more step on top of all the financial burden on top of everything my husband and I had been through you know together as far as the emotional ups and downs of caring and losing and you know I don't don't think anybody quite understands there's so many different layers to infertility and fertility struggles and how it happens for everyone, or if it's because I'm a lesbian woman and I haven't found a mate yet, or or I'm a gay man and I want to be a single father. You know, it's just so many layers to modern day family building because we're not as traditional as we used to be. And -hmm. I don't think that cinematography should be any different. Like we got to evolve, right? Absolutely. And there's a market for everything. I truly believe there's a market for everything. And what I, I don't know if 
what your journey was or if you agree with me, but in my particular case, one of the hard things in that moment when I bumped into my donor wasn't just the whole journey of infertility, but Mm -hmm. on my mom's side of the family being Latin, it was really taboo. Mm. And it was something that my mom did not want me to share with people. She hated when I would bring it up because I'm a very open person and it bothered her. She was like, you have no filter. You have to be careful what you say to people. And this is the woman had more sass than anybody, anybody knew. in the family, we right? We never even knew Always what filter was. Yeah. <laughs> and she would, you know, like whenever we were, my aunts were around or what have you, she'd be like, you know, like, Mira, don't say nothing. You know? And I was like, I'm mm-hmm. not going to say anything. And she's like, you know, and I'm like, well, you embarrassed? And that's what bothered me was I thought she was embarrassed that, you know, like that I was, sh- I was shamed, like it was shameful to her. And she came from a very religious home too, where a lot of them were like, you are going against God's will. What are you doing? My, my Titi said to me, God's rejection is his protection. And I was livid after I heard that because I thought, what is he protecting me from? Like, what did I do? You know, and I, it was like on top of the guilt, on top of the pain. And then to have the family really like, you know, like don't want me to talk about it. It made me feel even smaller, you know, because I felt I can't even have the support because you're ashamed or you're embarrassed. Like, what's wrong with what I'm doing? And they thought that, you know, forget about the egg donation, forget about the surrogate. Oh, my God, everything I did was going against what they thought was right and wrong. And we actually, the other day I saw on somebody else's uh, Instagram feed that someone said that they're called DCPs, donor conception people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. That, it's so crazy that that's even a thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's insane. I mean, really, and what we have come through, yeah. to, you know, but the woman had said something that what we, by doing that, by having a donor, Mm -hmm. you know, child, that it was going against not only biological rules or whatever it is, but that it was unfair to the child because you were taking them away from their biological parent. And I said, well, what is the difference between that and adoption? It's the same thing. Exactly. And he said, well, with adoption, the mother is willingly giving up their child. And I said, well, with donor, the woman is willingly giving up her egg. It's the same thing. And it went to the back and forth and I just stopped because I <laughs> I'm so passive aggressive. I'm like I the ignorance. Think. The the ignorance of uneducation, like no education, mm-hmm. no knowledge about things outside of the traditional ways of procreation. And unfortunately, in knocking on wood, you know, until that generation kind of dies off more, this is what we have to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in terms of what you were saying about your family being super religious, like many Latin families or Latinx families all over the world. Mm. And so just like in the South, <laughs> like it's crazy. I Some of the ideologies that. that people have surrounding procreation and the modern ways of doing so. Mm-hmm. And some of the political figures that we hear since the Roe v. Wade in their ignorance, wow. specifically a lot of men, but the, the women, we can't leave them out either because some of them are just, just as ignorant mm-hmm. as the men. And it just really baffles me that people have lost their critical thinking skills Absolutely. in lieu of religious belief. Now, church and state was supposed to be separate too, right? Exactly. And I believe that's always been the case. I think because of social media, it's just more prominent. I feel like Boom. that's it. That's what yeah. I think. I think yeah. I think it's always been there. I think it's always been yeah. an issue. And the road versus way thing is is so it's horrible to begin with, but it's even scarier with the fertility and infertility world right now because the reproductive, it's, I don't know where we're going to end up, but boy, it's going to take away a lot from a lot of people and for no other reason than just to, to drive a wedge into society. I think, I think at the end of the day, there's certain subjects in life that people should just mind their business and let other people just live and let live, you know, which is why I think it's so incredible that you 
completed the the project because <laughs> it, it has the ability to reach millions of people. I do hope that's what happens people. with it because you know, it really, I was trying to explain to somebody who was like, oh, but it really wasn't about the infertility. And it was just kind of mentioned in the beginning. And I said, because it really was, it's, it, it's about infertility. It's about the journey mm-hmm. for egg donation. But to me, it was more about how lost one can get in the process where you literally almost forget what the goal is because it's yeah. just the shots, the medicines, the horn, like you're, it's almost like you're just on a, like a gerbil thing and you're just mm-hmm. going and every day is the same on thing that wheel just spinning. the wheel just spinning and just hoping for something to happen and you know when the couple in my movie are um having their first you know disagreement about the situation where the husband's sort of desperate saying you know there's other ways for us to do this and she's you know completely against it yeah he says to her i feel like we're just living life but we're not moving we're just standing still and everything else is happening around us because everybody else's life is moving forward and we're just stuck and Mm -hmm. it made her in the story you could tell that she feels guilty like it's her fault that his life is not progressing that the fact that they don't have a family the guilt and the blame was on her shoulders even if it wasn't and I Mm -hmm. think that's another Mm -hmm. thing that when people come at you and say that you're going against God's will, or you're doing this wrong or, you know, fighting you on social media with your, you know, just with what you're saying, there's just such a lack, like you said, it goes back to ignorance. There's a lack of understanding of what each individual goes through. Yes, it was about infertility. Yes, it was about a donor, but it really was about this couple that was so absorbed in this journey that they literally forgot what it was like just to be together. And to have fun yeah. and to live life. And so when this zany journey takes them into Atlantic City and they're running from these like, you know, bad guys, whatever, um, you start to realize that this this whole thing was just absurd to begin with. And the yeah. couple has a really beautiful last moment where she's like apologizing to him. And he was like, no, I get it. You don't need to apologize. And then at the end, he's like, this has been the best ride of our lives. Like we forgot mm-hmm. to live. And yeah. that was very much the truth in my world with the journey of infertility, always feeling like my husband didn't quite understand me, that we were not on the same page. Were we even meant to be together? Because this is, you know, he said he was okay on that first date, but now, you know, all these years later, he's like, what was I thinking? And and I would honestly feel really guilty a lot of times and always apologize to him. I don't know if you ever apologized to your husband, but I just felt oh, like all the it time. was always yeah. my fault. All, so, all the time. Yeah. All the time. From the very beginning of us dating, that family was very important to mm-hmm. him, especially since he doesn't have any here mm-hmm. in the States. And so I get it. Yeah. A lot of fighting, uh, a lot of unnecessary arguments, and a, a lot of self-pity mm-hmm. and dealing with, and then also the men dealing with the fact that they can't fix it. Oh, did you just like, nail it and, on the head? Yeah. Oh my God. We would yeah. fight so often. And then finally one night... I just said, you know what? Let's just end this. Find yourself somebody who's fertile. Like, just let's just move mm-hmm. on. Like, this is not happy. This is too much for any one couple to handle. And I remember him broke down and he said, you know, I just feel helpless. I don't know mm-hmm. how to make this okay. I don't know how to, yeah. you know, sit there and give you your progesterone shots in your butt and not cry. You know, and, and it was it was a really tough thing because I actually never thought about his feelings, to be honest, because it was so much yeah. about me and what I was going through. But I didn't think that maybe he was struggling with feeling helpless. And like you said, not, not being able to man up, so to say. Yeah. And they like to fix stuff. Yeah. And, and also from your story and talking to a couple other women recently, just how many of us have come so close to divorce because of it. 
and then you mm-hmm. have the kids and then you you fight about that. <laughs> always it's always something. Again, I just I'm just so appreciative of you and the project that you've created. Thank I can't you. wait to see it. I may have to come up to New York or something to come see it or something. I don't know. Make the well, drive. Well, let's hope. Well, yes. we're, we're working with distributors now. So my mm-hmm. hope is that the next couple of weeks we have a deal coming through. And if that's the Wonderful. case, then it will be released next year. Wonderful. But I would love for you to see it. I really thank you so much. I don't even know if we even hit the topics you wanted to talk about. But the topics, they, they, they the decide topic. for themselves. Yeah, exactly. Whatever comes out of the conversation. The story comes out on its own. <laughs> if there's anything that you would say to infertility standing face to face, what would that be at this point in your life? At this point in life, what would I say to it? <laughs> Am I allowed to say what I would say? You can say whatever you like. <laughs> <laughs> Go fuck yourself. Yeah. That's what I would say. I would say, you're unfair. You're mean. Yeah, yeah I, I, I would want to punch it in the face. Yeah. But yeah. I think there's a reason for everything in life. At least I tell myself that. And I feel like sometimes it's easier and I don't want to say safer, but easier to not question things and why things are the way they are. They just are. And it's really more about your attitude and, and what you what you do with the pain, what you do with the heartache. and in my case, it took a long time to embrace who I was as a woman and to accept that and be okay with the fact that maybe I was a little broken, but it's okay. We all have a little crack somewhere, right? Thank you for that reminder of that some things just happen and sometimes life is just goddamn unfair and yeah. we have to take it the way we can and get through it the best we can. So Nicole, my, my dear, uh, where can we find you online, Good Egg Film, um, your website and all too? Yeah, so on Instagram, it's Good Egg Film. And then our website is goodeggfilm.com. <laughs> and the same thing on Facebook. It's all the same. And like I said, my hope is that we'll have it released next year and that people like you and myself who have gone through a tumultuous journey can actually sit back and cry and laugh yes. at the absurdity of life. <laughs> I'm telling you. And it, um, <laughs> sometimes it doesn't stop there. There's more it that sure life doesn't. wants to throw at you, right? But yeah, yeah. Thank you so much again, Nicole. I appreciate Thank you, you. Uh, talking with us, sharing your heart and your truths and how you became the writer director that you are today. Yeah. And, and I the know mama. our friends will appreciate you and the work that you're doing as well. So you guys know where to find me on Instagram. Thank you. Infertility and Me podcast, guys. And uh, we'll talk in the new year. Peace and blessings. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. 
Fairfax is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR.